Cool, we're on air. Let's go. Hello, welcome to today's episode of Rated E4 Educational. If you've ever watched the movies and thought, we never got to sing songs in school like that, then this is the show for you. Hi, I'm Amy Cotton, I'm one of your hosts, and joining us today is Daniel Cohen, our other host. Hello! Today we're looking at School of Rock. Daniel, have you seen it? Well, yes, I watched it for this episode. I'm glad you did your homework, that's good. <laughs> I did indeed. Um, I remember watching this, uh, I don't think I ever saw this at the movies, but I remember seeing it a number of times and, and just remembering it as a really good, fun movie. Um, and it's taken a bit of a different light watching it for this review. Uh, but yeah, I've seen it a number of times and I've seen half of the movie hundreds of times. So it's one of those ones that's just always on TV and it's always, ah, oh, I can switch my brain off and just watch this. Which half? I, you know, like half <laughs> from the middle, not, not 50% halfway through and then to the end. No, it's just, you know, one of those ones that when it's on TV. Ah, you're flicking through and you find it and you're yeah. like, I'll stick with this. Yeah, there's nothing else on, so I'm going to watch this because it's a bit of entertainment. So it's a good fun movie and I'm, I'm actually looking forward to reviewing it for today. So this is one of those films that I was pretty certain I'd seen and hadn't seen at all until I watched it. See, you've only seen half of it as well. <laughs> That's true, probably very small pieces. <laughs> um, yeah, so when I watched it all the way through, I thought, this is fun. I actually watched it with my mum, who declared it to be a very cute movie. <laughs> well, if it's past your mum's test, then... Yeah, we're fine. We can, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, so I think we should get straight into uh, the trivia that we've gathered for today's show. So, Amy. Absolutely. The um, the film is actually based on the Langley School's music project. Have you ever heard of that? No. Uh, it was a, a project that was undertaken by a Canadian school teacher. And basically, it was in the 70s. And he was getting the students to sing songs by the Beach Boys, Paul McCartney, David Bowie, those sorts of people. And his concept was that children's music was largely uh, cute, to use my mum's term, <laughs> uh, but the children themselves wanted to actually sing about their emotions, which were a lot deeper than that. They, yeah. they wanted to sing about loneliness and sadness and things like that. So uh, he found music that they could sing and recorded it, and it actually had a big re-release in 2001, which I think is how it became the inspiration from Mike White's script. Yep. Uh, yeah, so an interesting concept. So it is, the film is actually based on a real-life teaching example. Wow. Yeah. Because um, going into this, I know you're a musician and I'm, I'm also somewhat of a musician. I've played piano all through my childhood. That is uh, the first time anyone's ever called me a musician. Thank you. Uh, you're a, you're a multi-instrumentalist. It's... <laughs> um, I know my experience with music has meant that there are things that I can do well and it's because I have a musical background. Uh, there's well-established links between things. So um, going into this, I, I was already in that frame of mind where music is actually something I'm familiar with. So a film that has music in it, um, I was curious to see how it went. So it's interesting to hear that that's actually based on a uh, a real-life example of um, in using music. Yeah, and I, I think it's it's strong because music is all the way through our culture. 
Uh, and I know when I was teaching either like the Cold War, I would use the music from the time period to key the students into the emotions yep. of what was happening, not just the pure history of it. And, and when I was teaching Shakespeare, we would actually rap the lines and it actually helped the students oh, understand what was going on. Yeah, yeah, cool. This film was released in 2003 and there are a few things that we need to remember about that time period in history. So in terms of education policy, the big thing happening then was the No Child Left Behind Act in the US, which was signed into law by George W. Bush. There are other things going on in the world. Uh, Enron was under criminal investigation mm. at the time, which is a real flashback in history. But also the US invasion of Afghanistan happened in 2002, which now seems interminable. It's just, uh, just a matter of life. But back then it was one of the biggest things imaginable. So yeah, interesting. In terms of 2003, the Space Shuttle Columbia disintegrated over Texas. Oh, wow. Yeah. A, a big time in history. Yeah. So there's some big events happening that I, I can see why a fun movie would mm -hmm. be um, well received with all of that going on in the world. Yeah. Like, it was so depressing back then that even Martha Stewart was being <laughs> put in prison at that time. Like, <laughs> she seems to have uh, recovered, but... <laughs> Served her time. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was a real weird time of history. We may be back in another weird time of history in another 15 years we'll be doing We'll be a doing a, a review of this one and, and going over all of the events. Mm, interesting. With all of those depressing things happening in the world, you're right, people were looking for a cheerful movie. And this film, it was budgeted at $35 million, but grossed over $81 million at the... Oh, wow. Yeah, the US domestic box office alone. So it became... Um, it was just... It was considered very successful. Uh, I think the film that followed it, that beat it, was Pitch Perfect 2. So... <laughs> <yeah>. Interesting. <laughs> but it was, yeah, it spent six weeks in the top ten films of the year... Uh, in terms of other films that were going on that year, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, Bruce Almighty, Finding Nemo, Lost in Translation. That's a cheerful film right there. Uh, Love Actually. There you go. And uh, Kill Bill Volume 1. That, that's an interesting mix of films, isn't it? Yeah, what a year for cinema. That's amazing. The kids in the film are actually really interesting. They all play their instruments and the backup singers were all the real vocalists. So it's a really talented group of kids. And you can kind of tell that they've really cast for talent because the kids are all such different ages. Just looking at them, there's no way they'd all be in one class in a primary school. Yeah, I never really picked up on the fact that they were different ages because I'd just get lost in the movie. And having been a primary teacher, kids are going through such different rates of growth that it's not that uncommon to get kids that... Uh, such different heights um, but having said that uh, I do stop and go yeah they they did actually look a bit older than some of the other kids in that class so it's interesting because it's the first thing I really thought of is oh no they didn't look the same for example Kevin Alexander Clark was 15 when the oh, film was wow. released and um, Miranda Cosgrove who was the youngest she just turned 10 when the film was released yeah yeah, and at that age, there can be quite a difference in development, but it's not something I've really noticed. And it, and it occurs to me that they never really identified what age group the kids were. So it's just some mystery class of kids. Yeah, I suppose by the way they uh, 
kept together through all the different lessons. I just assumed they were primary or elementary. Yeah, yeah. So, Daniel, could you tell us what this film was about? With pleasure. We open on a big rock concert and are introduced to the main character, Dewey Finn, who is played by Jack Black, who is rocking out hardcore with his band who seem a little bit put out by his theatrics, particularly after an attempted stage dive that ended with Dewey lying flat on the floor. We then move to see Dewey arising the next morning and are introduced to his dweeby housemate, Ned Schwebly, who appears to be walked over by his girlfriend, Patty, played by Sarah Silverman. We set the scene with an argument between the three of them over Dewey's lack of direction and failure to pay rent. Dewey says he's close to making it big with the band and then all his problems will be fixed. Ned then has to leave for work as a substitute teacher. Dewey scoffs. Temping. Ned responds, substitute teaching isn't temping. It's the most important job in the world. And he lays down the challenge, you wouldn't last a day. We then change scene to Dewey meeting up with the band, spouting new ideas, but finally realising that the band are kicking him out. This sends him home early where he can intercept a phone call meant for Ned to teach and with little effort assumes the persona of Ned so that he can get some quick money. Dewey turns up to the school and after a lacklustre induction process is taken into the classroom where he's left in front of an expectant class. We are introduced to the main student characters, Summer, the bossy smart girl, the drummer boy, the rebel troublemaker at the back of the room, Zach, the piano man Lawrence, and the token gay kid of course. He introduces himself to the class and then starts talking with the students about his hangover and his disgust at what happens in the school with things like star charts. The principal interrupts him in mid-rant and then takes the kids off to their music class where Dewey overhears them and discovers that some of the kids are musical. He introduces the kids to some instruments which he happened to have in his car and this hatches the plan to form a band. He works one-on-one -on -one with a few of the select students uh, while everyone else just sits there watching patiently and then when the key roles are appointed through his fair and merit-based selection process, he gives consolation prizes to the other kids like security, roadies and being a backup singer. With some more inappropriate discussion and some kids who amazingly don't take the freedom to run right, he makes it to the final bell where he runs out of the school quicker than the rest of the students do. Throughout the development of the band, we have a few moments of genuine interaction where counselling about self-esteem and celebration of student skill and interest are focused on mixed in with a good bit of self-indulgence, verbal taunting and homophobic stereotyping. All of this leads up to the big class project of performing in Battle of the Bands. Now that everyone has a clear and common goal, we get to see some real classroom development where students practice, complete work, watch the teacher demonstrate, a lot, and do some great book work. Of course, losing all perspective of a timeline, uh, we have a montage where they are now uh, turned, turning into a finely tuned band. We move to the big audition. Dewey and the students sneak out of school and take off on an unauthorised field trip, leaving some of the students back at school to cover and keep up appearances. Arriving at the auditions, they discover that they're just too late, which gives Summer the opportunity to sneak their way into the competition by faking a terminal illness. They now have a goal where some serious music practice, costume design and lighting is being developed. We also have the pivotal moment where some extras get the band name School of Rock. 
but the job of being a teacher just keeps getting in Dewey's way. Parent-teacher night comes up. The stuff of every teacher's nightmare comes to head with all the parents in the classroom challenging Dewey about what ideas he's been putting into their precious darling's heads. After his identity theft has been caught out at home by the real Ned Schneebly, Ned, the overpowering girlfriend, the principal and the police all take up to take Dewey away. Amazingly, Dewey hasn't gone to jail and we move to the next scene of the students uh, committing to fight the man. They go to Dewey's house, get him out of bed and go to put on an awesome show. Gathered backstage, we see some personal growth from Dewey, opting to go with Zach's song instead of the one they had planned. They take to the stage and perform their little hearts out. Meanwhile, the parents easily make their way to the front of the concert crowd uh, in a rage uh, to finally see their little darlings perform on the stage. Successfully, finally realising that their kids are actually talented and all the music lessons they've been paying for have had a good effect. We then close the movie with a small epilogue of Ned and Dewey following their love of music, their love of teaching at the School of Rock after school program. Happy ending. So, Amy, how did you find the movie? Uh, on Netflix. <laughs> so, Amy, what did you think of the movie? I thought it was fun. I... I didn't think it was a textbook for how to teach or why to teach, but it, it's a good, fun movie. And it does bring out some very interesting education styles. It certainly does. I think there's – the thing that kept standing out to me was that I couldn't separate uh, what happens in the classroom from just a story. So there's part of me that just kind of switches off my brain and goes with the ridiculous story and the fun of it and, like, the growth from where he does the stage dive at the beginning and falls flat on the floor to the very end where he's finally grown and accepted and found his place and does a stage dive and, and crowd surfs and, and what a wonderful journey he's been on to develop. And you go, that's that's wonderful, but there's so many steps along the way that I just sit there and go, that just does not happen. <laughs> I was less sympathetic of Jack Black's character. I, I enjoyed him. I enjoyed Jack Black's portrayal and all that sort of stuff. But as a hero, he is so hopeless that he can only win respect if every other character in the film is even more gormless and hopeless than he is. <laughs> and that is the film, apart from the yeah. kids. Yeah, I understand why you say that. I, I didn't feel that was a, as... I guess, as you said, you had less sympathy than I did. Um, I didn't I didn't feel there was much other character development. So all the other teachers were pretty shallow. They were just there for the to serve the purpose of a joke. Yes. Um, and and that was fine. And so that's where if I could switch my brain off and just go, here's a funny story that's got some setups to jokes, then great, that's a funny moment. But then the real part of my brain kicks in and goes, no teacher does that. Yes. No teacher reacts like that. That's ridiculous. Oh, I agree with you. Switch your brain off, great film. <laughs> Hearing that bit of trivia about it being such a successful movie in one way is a bit of a surprise because, okay, it's just so unrealistic. But on the other hand, 
it is a bit of fun, so I can see why it was popular. Especially in the time period in which it was produced. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. a really good point. Switch your brain off and enjoy yourself at the movies. Yeah, I can totally understand yeah. it. And I can understand its lasting uh, success in a way. It's yeah. still viewed as a, a good film to go back and watch again. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if you can ignore the silliness. Yeah. But, but there's some other silliness that makes it really endearing. Oh, it's great. Um, there were some real... Some real highs and lows, and I think maybe it's the way I take Jack Black as a performer, but there were some moments of real insight immediately followed up with some really offensive attitudes. Um, there, was, there was a lot of stereotyping going on, and I think one of the things in our show notes was about the character that Sarah Silverman played, and... Erin, who is our resident movie historian, uh, in the notes that she uh, collated for us, made the comment that she's not a fan of Sarah Silverman's character. you got to try extremely hard to make someone that unlikable, even in a kid's movie. I am an assistant to the mayor of the city. Hello? What? Can you get her out of here, please? Why? Why her? Yes. Yeah, uh, fulfilling some sort of like wicked witch part of her yeah. movie, maybe. But yeah, um, and it's a special type of sexism. Yeah, absolutely. To uh, really paint a woman as so one dimensionally hateful. Yeah, and it was the the overbearing girlfriend role mm. and you go okay so that role was a tool for the joke and for the storytelling that's fine but at the same time it's a bit offensive i had some really cringeworthy moments with the stereotype of the gay student mm. because it was just flaming overbearing outrageous stereotyping and you go, yeah, there's there's a joke to be made, but it feels like the joke's being made at the expense of someone who might be um, gay or exper uh, exploring their sexuality. Yeah, the assumption that all gay kids, all gay boys would be into costume design. Yes, yeah. and they all speak with the funny voice mm -hmm. and they hold their body language is um, not what... Um, the rest of the boys look like and, and it just felt like cheap jokes mm. which again in that time period is probably representative of where attitudes were but watching it now it just feels a bit off-putting yeah the portrayal is off-putting but what i didn't mind was jack black's character's response yes because he sort of just blinks and accepts there's oh, no that's just um, you there's no yeah. yeah there's nothing in the dialogue mm. that makes a joke of that yeah, student there's no malice there, it's yeah. kind of great you want to go and do this go and you know be you, be you. yeah um the 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 passion project idea the um following the student interest bringing the student's interest into the classroom this is the thing that this kid is interested in so they've just created the opportunity for this kid to do something that he enjoys doing and you go that's just how the class ran everyone got to do their thing no second questions and it was just not unusual for one of the kids to go off and do this but the portrayal of it being in the film 
was a bit of a that, that's not quite right, but nice try, good good job at trying to normalise it. Yeah, yeah, it was an it was an almost yeah. bad missed, and I think sometimes when you get those narrow misses, it's even worse. Sometimes, sometimes I think yeah. at the time when this came out, it would have been a look at this. We're celebrating all the kids without making a big deal about it. And mm. You go, yeah, that's great. Whereas now it just yeah, not quite. Not quite right. So that's what I mean. There were there were some highs and lows, and some of the things in the dialogue that um, I'm sure we'll get to in, a, in when we start talking about the educational component of what we saw. But uh, overall, pretty good. Just a few moments that were not quite right, which I often get when I watch Jack Black. Yeah, uh, blokey bloke sort of films. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things I really did enjoy seeing was the. Uh, portrayal of CRTs, uh, so substitute teaching um, or casual relief teaching, as we call it here where we are. Um, it, that that line that uh, I think it was actually um, Sarah Silverman's character that said uh, the substitute teaching is teaching or uh, when they were having that argument at the beginning, that yeah. defence of it's not temping, it's real teaching and teaching is one of the most important jobs in the world. And you go, yeah, absolutely. There's there's very few things I've ever seen where a substitute teacher's been held up to on the same pedestal as full-time teachers in school. So that was really kind of nice to see. Yeah, the language of it I think Dewey uses is babysitter, uh, which yeah. is quite a common term used with substitute or casual teachers. Uh and it's part of his growth too. He goes from considering this as sort of a babysitter job to considering it one of the most important things he's ever done with his life. So Yeah, and it's that challenge of you wouldn't last a day and no, he wouldn't have. And had he have actually tried to teach, no, he still wouldn't yes. have lasted a day because he didn't actually <laughs> get into a teaching position. Um, he really did just babysit. But, yeah, it's, it's nice that um, there was recognition of the hard work that substitute teachers do and the complexity of going into a room full of students you've never met before and go, right, I'm here and I'm in charge, let's get to it. Because um, Jack Black's character didn't really do that at all. I I did like that the film took it seriously, that teachers do need some sort of qualification in order to yes. teach, which is a little bit unusual to see depicted in film. Uh Obviously, Which yeah. they then didn't follow up on. No, <laughs> no, but the seriousness of it was there at least is a threatened. <laughs> yeah, well, the police turned up when he was found out, so that's good. Yeah, <laughs> it is good. Uh, I suppose the, the one thing you still say is that Ned is still studying to complete his teaching degree, which isn't too unusual in most countries around the world that maybe yep. in your fourth year of studying a, a teaching degree, you might yep. be allowed to go out and teach. Um so that's just a regulatory thing yeah. of where whatever jurisdiction you're in, are you sufficiently qualified to start teaching? The thing that got me was what principal doesn't do any sort of basic check to see that the person that turns up is actually the person that you've, you're trying to employ and, okay, let's go, here are the kids. Oh, I, let's come back to the depiction of principal and leadership in education. <laughs> yes. I, I do have a quote here uh, from People Management magazine talking about Jack Black. It's an interesting one. <laughs> Please share. <laughs> um, the article is by Emma Hart, who's an HR manager of Visual Soft. So, you know, a well-known authority on teacher qualifications. 
She says, uh, while accepting that working with children under a false identity is serious and potentially a legal matter, Dewey's enthusiasm and creativity are to be applauded. So the rock band project helps his class develop into more confident young people, introduces new learning methodologies to the organisation, and whilst uh, Dewey's apparent lack of control and disregard for structure could be a cause for concern, it can be great if it's measured in respect to the impact and the output if the risks are being considered. Such a, a corporate way to think about education and teaching. It is. And I suppose the sentiment behind that, I think being involved in things like the school concert and going on excursions with students means that you get out of that usual routine and do something a bit different, but it's the educational value of what you're doing. Kids get to go out and... If you think about the thinking processes that Summer went through when she came up with the let's pretend to be terminally ill and get in, that's quite a complex activity for a kid in what could be about grade four. Um, that thinking process to go, we can manipulate them and get some sympathy and we'll get, we'll get what we want. Great thinking skills. Horrible way of going about it. <laughs> But great yes. thinking skills. And so going on excursions and bringing in other methods and the other things that you quoted in that, um, that you quoted from that quote, mm. they are completely valid and important things for teachers to think about. It's just they went about it in a way that was not quite legit. Yeah, odd. <laughs> uh, do you want to hear what Jack Black has to say about Absolutely. paying a substitute? Yeah. Uh, this is uh, from a Thomas Hayden article called Not the Next Governor of California uh, from the US News back in 2003. Uh, the question is being asked as you play a substitute teacher, um, how scared do you think the parents would be? And Jack Black's response is, I don't think they should be frightened at all. The character I play is a little wild and crazy, but he ends up being a great teacher because he loves what he's teaching. Teaching is probably the most noble of all professions and teachers don't get enough credit. So I love that last sentence, yep. but the self-assessment that he's a great teacher. Yep. yep. <laughs> See, highs and lows. Um, I, I suspect working with the kids the way he did on this film gave him a bit of an insight into working with children that teachers have to do every day to where he kind of <laughs> went, gee, this is, this is hard work. <laughs> I can't believe they do this every day. Um, and... I can kind of see where he was going with that. If you have passion for your subject and your content and you teach that and the kids see your passion, they get caught up in the passion of what you bring and your enthusiasm, then it makes the learning experience better and richer and so on and so on. And so I completely agree with that sentiment. Mm, granted, yes. Yeah, I, I don't think that's what was actually portrayed in the film, no, though. It was not the world's best teacher <laughs> happening there. I, I, I did find it interesting as a, a joke later in the film when he's talking to the other teachers over lunch. He uses the old, those, uh, that, can't those do, that can't do teach, teach. And those that can't and teach. And those that can't teach. Um, yep. teach. It's a very yeah. stock standard worldwide phrase that's been used. And all. I, The teachers sitting at the table all sort of just giggled and agreed. I think yeah. if you said that in a staff room, a teacher would get up and probably clock you one. Yeah. 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 And I suppose that's that point of the teachers are there to serve the purpose of the joke. They're not actually a portrayal of real teachers because yeah. I don't know many real teachers that are actually going to sit back and go, ha, yeah, we're ridiculous. Yeah. So yeah. 
And I've I've known plenty of PE teachers, and they work really hard in outdoor conditions, trying to manage kids with weapons, uh, yes. sports equipment, <laughs> that, but yeah, weapons, javelins, um, discus, yeah, yeah, yeah. hockey sticks, yeah. And, yeah. So it's it's not an easy job, no, and, it's and it's a it's a quite an offensive um, phrase, mm. but it's a joke that you know could be used in a self-deprecating way which I think was the intention, but, again, it's just not reflective of reality. I think we should all acknowledge that PE teachers use a lot of science as well, which is the big stereotype everyone misses, is that actually they're science in motion teachers. Yeah. Ah, I hate that phrase so much, those that can't do teach, those that can't I thought you were going to say science in motion. No, no, science in motion is (laughs) fine. Um. Speaking of the theory of what goes into teaching, um, the, the the idea about music theory and not just teaching music but knowledge of music helping in lots of other areas, I suppose one of the things about an inquiry learning model is that you integrate subjects and you use um information from one area to build on it, um, information in other areas and explore the content and explore knowledge and so on and so on. Um, so I think it was a really great portrayal of the inquiry learning model in motion because you had all of these kids working on their own projects but all as part of one big... Just because you're not in the band doesn't mean you're not in the band. ...project. So you had the... Um, kids that were doing the lighting show and the graphics and the animation for everything that was going on the screen behind. You had the kid who was developing the costumes and you had the the kids who were doing the security and managing all the equipment with uh, to, to monitor um, the hallway to see when they were going to get busted. Um, that all came from being involved in this thing. So there's that inquiry method of approaching things where you go, yeah, they're all working on different things, but they're all sharing their knowledge. It's just letting them explore their own particular bit of skill. Mm. And I think um, I know at the TLN, uh, the Teacher Learning Network, we ran a course a couple of years ago uh, by a a music teacher, um, Luke Stewart, who did a presentation based on how knowledge of music helps brain processing. Um, and it's, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase and I'm not going to be completely accurate like Luke was, uh, but it's basically the the connections that your brain makes when learning music. Um, I think the easiest thing is to say they're links to maths. Mm-hmm. Music is a very timed thing. And so it's broken up into fractions and you've got a beat that's very even. So you've got even parts. And so the natural connection to maths is very obvious because of the way the music is broken down into smaller and smaller parts that you play. Um, But then uh, you look at uh, writing lyrics and so you've got some really heavy links to literacy and you've got um, the fact that you're rhyming words and being creative and the creativity makes connections in your brain. So the neurological processes that are going on there, the problem solving that goes on, you get all of these benefits that assist your learning in other subject areas. And I think 
it's very easy to go, well, it's just ridiculous that they're playing music instruments all day. But there's some real legitimate stuff to say that playing music the way they were doing actually helps them in their learning in lots of other ways. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I've uh, just myself gone back to learn a totally new uh, stringed instrument. And I found myself last night doing a lot of math in my head, trying to work out what's going on here and the physics of making the actual instrument sound as well. So there's creative, there's math, there's science, there's all sorts of things going on there. So I totally agree. Stop laughing at me. No, no. Um, what stringed instrument is it that you're learning, Amy? Well, it's a very serious instrument. Oh, it is, but but I've never heard it referred to as one of the stringed instruments It is before. a stringed instrument. It though. is. Which one is it, Amy? It's a soprano ukulele. <laughs> I love that it's not just a ukulele. It's a soprano ukulele. We're going to get a lot of letters from ukulele players and they're all going to be directed to Daniel. No, I think it's great. <laughs> it's, I, I'm just... I'm just interested as to why you weren't prepared to acknowledge what it was at the <laughs> beginning. I was talking it up. That's okay. <laughs> Getting back to what you're talking about, though, um, these what I I thought when I was watching the film, I thought, oh, um, Dewey Jack Black's character was is quite good at negotiating uh, the student learning or student led activities. Yeah. I, and then I really thought about it. I was like, well, no, he came up with bad ideas for them and then they suggested and negotiated a different learning um, Yeah, it, uh, it didn't activity. start with a question of what is it that you want to learn. Yeah. It was, I've decided we're going to do this thing because I feel like it. And the kids said, no, nah, how about this instead? Yeah, okay. Yeah, and what didn't follow from there were any discussions about, well, what's your goal in learning? How are we yeah. going to know what you've achieved? What are your outcomes? Yeah, and I, yeah. I think that's one of the ridiculous parts about the film because the goal was just he wanted to get a band and perform and that was going to help him. So you go, yeah, of course they're not going to have educational discussions about their learning goals, but in a real-life situation, I think you're right, you would you'd be looking for what is the intention for doing this and what are we working towards? I think what it does show is that the kids, because they were able to scaffold their own learning experiences, had been extremely well taught by their regular class teacher. <laughs> and so she had obviously given them the skills to think about their learning journeys um, and keep going on with it. He's just winced at the words journeys and I tell you what, I'm still cringing in Tynos inside as well. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it is a learning journey, but yeah, I hate the term because it became such a buzzword. But yeah, it, it's really about moving the kids on to the next part of their learning and that wasn't evident, but those were pretty good kids. And I think being at what was identified as an elite school indicates that these were pretty capable kids of directing their own learning. Um, so it was successful. And as I said in the description of the movie, they didn't take the opportunity to just run riot when he was talking to one kid at a time uh, because there's no way I would have had the opportunity to just talk to one kid for 10 minutes and not tell anything else to the other kids. Just just sit and watch me teaching someone else. You know, no, they, at least they would have started fidgeting and whispering to each other. But yeah, It was an interesting uh, a thing to, to observe that classroom because they make out in the film that these are kids who 
only ever got to sit behind their tables and write down what was on the board. That's sort of the the impression you first get of the yeah. lesson. But what really becomes evident quite quickly is that these are students who are very skilled in directing and creating their own learning experiences, um, which allows Dewey to have his little fantasy of creating yeah. the world's best teaching experience. <laughs> but really those kids had already been set up to achieve regardless of who yeah. was in front of them. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, now I want to circle back to something that you indicated you were going to come back to, leadership. Ah. I found it interesting that a principal would operate in the way the principal in this movie was portrayed. There are a couple of points that I want to mention. There's the threatening nature of, remember, I'll be watching as part of her induction. <laughs> yeah, that's part of everyone's induction, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the the missing induction, mm. it's this is where the classroom is and see you later. That's that's no induction. But then the... Um, the the scene where they're in the staff room and she walks in and is just kind of buzzing and flitting about and that that kind of micromanaging conversation was you know, now remember we've got to do this where she came in and spoke to the teachers as if they were students which is has some bearing in reality because there's a few principals I've seen that speak to teachers as if they're students mm. but then the way there, there was no drive. There was no authority that was obvious. It was just this annoying person that keeps talking in my ear, which isn't what a principal is. Yeah, looking at her when she entered a room and how little effect she had on the room when she entered it. Yeah, she she had no sense of uh, gravity. So it's when a leader, especially in an educational setting, walks into a room, usually there's a little bit of a dip in conversation and people's attention are drawn over to that person it's mainly because everyone's like well what's the boss doing the boss is here yeah but so there's she had authority for the position yeah but then authority for the person but she had and nothing yeah. neither of those were happening yeah um so they'd learn to over time just disrespect her altogether and um, just ignore her yeah just oh you're just there nick off you're bothering me yeah say what you need to say and i'm busy having my cuppa i um I, I don't want to say that. I, I thought the portrayal by um, Joan Cusack was deeply funny. I think she was very good at oh, it. Oh, yeah. I really uh, enjoyed it. One thing that did ring true to me was the bit where she admits to Dewey after their, their date um, that she thinks everybody thinks she's a bit... They hate me. No, they don't. Yes, they do. They sure do. I can see. I wasn't always like this, you know. I wasn't always wound this tight. There was a time when I was fun. I was funny. I was. But you can't be funny and be the, the principal of a prep school. No, you cannot. Because when it comes to their kids, these parents, they have no sense of humor. No, and, and if anything goes wrong, it's my head. All right, it's my head in the smasher. These parents will come down on me like a nuclear bomb. I can't make a mistake. I gotta be perfect. And that pressure has turned me into one thing that I never wanted to be. No, you're yeah. not. Yes, I am. I am a big one. Well, I don't think so. 
I think you're pretty cool. Really? No. Yeah, you're way cool. Really? And I thought, that's, that's right. That's actually uh, something that women in leadership do have to contend with. Yep. That when you get into that position, you then have to become maybe a different person. Like, I'm not saying you should become a different person, but the idea is that you become the, the bitch. Yeah. Um, and that everybody treats you that way and everyone talks about you that way and you lose all other sort of personality except for being this domineering bitch. Um, it is a real struggle that we still have in any sort of uh, women in leadership, let alone school leadership. Yeah. In case listeners hadn't realised I'm not a woman and so <laughs> I had a, I didn't have that same take on that portrayal and, and that theme. Um, what I noticed was someone who was in a position of authority struggling to find the difference between being friends with your colleagues and being the boss of the other people. Oh, yeah. And, and that's a an issue that's not necessarily a gendered issue, but I know there's lots of bosses that I've worked with and I've worked in a lot of small teams where there is a boss but we're all kind of sitting there together trying to make everything work and there is that really awkward um, position, and particularly when I've been in charge of particular areas, you know, right, we're all colleagues and we're in this boat together but now I have to take a step back and say, right, I am separate to you because I now need to give you instructions about your employment and I need to tell you to do things and I'm the decision maker. But I'd still like to be friends with my colleagues and it's a really difficult line to walk. And I, I think the script and um, Joan, the, the actor that portrayed that, it was all done very well and it felt very authentic. Mm. Um, but not being a woman, I didn't really pick up on the the stuff about being a woman in leadership. And I think everything that you just said is stuff that I've observed with women who have been my boss, but I've never had to experience that. Yeah, it's interesting. I think many people uh, have different ways of walking that grey line between friendly colleagues and, you know, well, now I'm the boss. Yeah. This conversation is now me as boss. 20 minutes later we're going to be having conversation as colleagues and friends. Um, so there's no magic answer to that. But what I, the only thing I really have to say about that scene is that it felt a little bit real that there was a woman struggling to find the line, to find the answer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the pain was real. Yeah, and I think it just adds to the idea that there were some really authentic moments throughout this movie and I think that was really one of them. Yeah, it's definitely. One of my favourite bits of the movie. Not that she was in pain, but that it was true. <laughs> <laughs> there were some really authentic moments uh, between uh, Dewey and the students and they were tied up with some things that I, I didn't find very um, helpful. But uh, he came up with the nicknames for all the students and um, the notes in the trivia were saying that Jack Black actually came up with those nicknames himself. <laughs> Piano Man. Zack Attack. Posh Spice. Mr. Cool. Spazzy McGee. 
Blondie, brace face, tough guy, shortstop, fancy pants. And I think looking back to my teaching, you have nicknames with kids because that's building the rapport and building the relationship. So you have those little little things that are relationship building. You give them nicknames. You have little jokes with them and you muck around. Um, the nicknames you came up with, I don't think we're particularly flattering. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's, oh, yeah, I can see why someone might think that's funny, but I see the offensive side of that and that giving that nickname, if that sticks, that's where a stigma comes from and that kid then has esteem issues. And that's many, many, many steps down the road but that initial thing of, oh, no, you could come up with a better nickname that's maybe not quite off-putting. But the fact that he was coming up with nicknames for the kids was a good thing. It's just a lack of training. That's all that speaks yeah, to. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think what you're edging around there as a topic is also that he was in a position of accidental counselling. Yes. Yes, which a lack of training can really undo a teacher. Yeah, absolutely. There was a scene towards the end which um, was a surprise when I looked uh, when I watched it uh, this time to review for this podcast, um, where he was talking to uh, the girl uh, Tamika in the film, mm -hmm. um, the larger girl, and she didn't want to go on stage. Now, having been involved in school concerts, I've dealt with a number of kids who have had a bit of stage fright because it's public speaking. But in that moment, is she's gone? I don't want to go on stage. I'm nervous. And he started talking about it being a weight issue. Mm. I went, Oh, what? Why is it a weight issue? That, yeah. What? What are you bringing that up for? Yeah. She hasn't said that. She's scared about going out and performing in public. Mm -hmm. But, and, and so then he went into a really good bit of counselling because he was going. And you know who else has a weight issue? Oh. Me. But once I get up on stage, start doing my thing, people worship me because I'm sexy and chubby, man. Why don't you go on a diet? Because I like to eat. Is that such a crime? Look, the, you know what? That's not even the point. The thing is, you're a rock star now. All you got to do, you just got to go out there, just rock your heart out. People are going to dig you, I swear. Let's just go out there, show them what we got. What do you say? You know, that's a great piece of advice. But don't bring up the weight issue unless the kid brings it up first. Yeah, and that goes back to the shallow um, writing that you were yeah. talking about before, is that the only problem a, a, a fat person would have is actually being fat. Like, yep. There could be so many other problems going on <laughs> and their weight is the least thing on their mind. Um, and I'm saying that as somebody who is herself not exactly slim. <laughs> but it's like the, it, she could have had a problem on. <laughs> he's, he's locking his lips. He's not saying anything. This <laughs> is a workplace. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, yeah, she could have had a failure on stage before. She, her voice might be out that day. There could be she's scared of uh, what is really a group of a thousand really um, noisy men. <laughs> like, yeah, there could yeah. be all sorts of different things. Um, uh, thankfully, they steered away from the racist <laughs> potential of having that discussion yes, because it was an African American student. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's it's again. 
the idea that a student would come to a teacher and confide in them about a fear and then that teacher ends up being more of a counsellor helping them work through those issues is completely real and and that portrayal is something that I did almost every day in my teaching as a primary teacher actually as any teacher at any age group um, because you get those moments and you have to help the kids Mm. Um, and so again clumsy scripting aside it's wonderful that there were some moments throughout the movie where where the relationship between teacher and student felt genuine because they really were building rapport. And the bit at the end where the ridiculous idea that the kid that was doing the lighting could just go and wing it with, <laughs> with all those lights that require programming and all of this stuff, it, it's not just a dude standing there with a spotlight. That's a whole lot of stuff. You can't just wing it. But... He said, Gordon, you're just going to have to feel it. you got to improvise. And you know the song. I know you can do it. Okay. <laughs> and he goes up and does the lighting. But then when they meet up after the show, that kid comes back. He stops and turns to that kid and goes, what a brilliant job. You did such a wonderful job. And it's that kind of celebration at a student doing well that's just commonplace in every classroom, every good classroom, and every teacher does celebrate those successes. And it's easy to see one where you've got one kid doing all of the lighting for a stage, but I think teachers are also really good at finding those moments where the kids excel at something they've been working on, and then they go, everyone, look, what a brilliant job this kid did. So so there were some really good teachable moments. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um... The proximity of the feedback to the event happening too, he was yep. very good at that. Uh, so a kid would do something and he would praise immediately. Uh, so there was no um, loss of memory for the child yep. before they actually realised what they'd done right. But going back to the accidental counselling thing, because there are a few other characters like uh, Robert Zeiss, um Lawrence, the keyboards, um, saying things like, I'm not cool enough for the band, and Jack yeah. Black sharing that, well, you know, I'm not really cool either, but I can't think of the phrase, you know, we'll cut that bit in. Mr. Snibley? Yeah? Hey, what's up? I don't think I should be in the band. Why not? I'm not cool enough. People in bands are cool. I'm not cool. Dude, you are cool. The way you play. What? Why do you say you're not cool? Nobody ever talks to me. Well, those days are over, buddy. Because you could be the ugliest sad sack on the planet, but if you're in a rockin' band, you're the cat's pajamas, man. You're the bee's knees. Bee's knees? Yeah, the bee's knees. You're, the, you're gonna be the most popular guy in school, trust me. Okay, I'll do it. Now listen, this is a big commitment now. You don't just say yes if you're gonna flake out later. I won't. Larry, welcome to my world. What I liked about Jack Black, even though he possibly read a little bit too much into what the characters or the the students were saying to him and gave accidental counselling possibly not aligned to what they may have been feeling, he was sharing a bit of himself and sharing his weakness, his growth, to show them that they too could grow, that they too could overcome. Yeah. So that openness as a teacher rather than having this facade of everything's perfect, I'm a perfect human being, yeah. you need to come up to my level. 
It's the same as the counselling with the um, uh, the student who was on guitar. I can't remember his name. Um, Zach? Yes. Mm. Thank you. When Zach was trying to play guitar and he went up and did that one-on-one, here's how you do it with attitude and nod your head and wave your arm around and that whole bring the attitude because it's this beaten down kid who's got no confidence. So here we're building up confidence. And um, that's a wonderful thing to get a kid to actually experience a bit of success, which was then followed up with tell your dad to get stuffed, basically. (laughs) And then all of the fight the man speeches because the world's just going to crush you. So go out and rebel and break all the rules. Um, I don't think that school has built its reputation on (laughs) producing rule breakers. (laughs) Yeah, no, but I kind of, maybe I'm such a dissenter as a teacher, but I really (laughs) liked that he was teaching them the vocabulary to dissent. Yes. uh, Because they didn't have it before that. So he saw... uh, Zach being bullied. Yep. Um, it was Zach, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he witnessed that exchange between the kid and his his dad, and then built actually a lesson around where he was giving the student the words and the confidence to fight back a little bit. Um, although I wouldn't say it is. Um, quite within a teacher's role to teach a kid how to disobey parents or to fight yeah. their parents. There's still something about building a kid up to stand for themselves. Yeah, there's a bit of reality in that as well because mm. I've had kids who have had issues with their parents and, well, if you can't talk to your parents about how to deal with what your parents are doing, who do you talk to? Teachers, one of the other mm. adults in a the kid's life they'll go to. Yeah. So you do have a conversation like that. But it's always a fine line between here is how you be assertive and deal with the situation and here's how you tell your parents to get stuffed and ignore them and get yourself grounded. Yeah, I think so, you trot on the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but still, good for the movie. <laughs> Daniel, one of the things depicted in this film was an utter disregard for processes in the school. Yes. Uh there, there seemed to be no risk assessment of the excursion plan that was going ahead. No, they did a risk assessment. That's why they had the kids on the security cameras watching the hallway. <laughs> yeah, so of course this is brought up as a problem in the, in the actual film and the principal is not okay with Dewey's plan or um, Dewey's spontaneous excursions. Uh, but that's the type of thing that does get you arrested. Yeah, yeah. I remember I took a class on an excursion once and there was a delay on the trains. So we the school bell went at 3.30 and our train didn't get, get back till 3.37. Mm. So all those parents lined up at the gate waiting for their kids who hadn't turned up from the excursion. And I was on the phone to the school giving minute-by-minute updates as to where we were because you've got to have the kids under control and uh, under supervision and the whole duty of care and the parents need to know where the kids are and all of that. So the idea that a teacher just sneaks the kids off out of the school is fanciful at best. Fanciful at best. And it's into a situation where there are a lot of uh, adults who are not used to working with children. It's not like they snuck off to go to the museum where there's a lot. People who are expecting yep. children to turn up. This is a situation where 
children can get lost backstage and you know also injured injured yeah it's a dangerous There's, atmosphere or environment oh yeah. yeah kid wanders off to play cards with some strange dudes in their van in around the back, the back of, the of, them. of them yeah what's going on here Nothing. Just chilling. Freddie Jones, you get out of that van this instant. Yeah, so no. there's there's a few issues with the um, safety and supervision. Um, but, yeah, I think the idea that it could happen, um, it was ridiculous the way it all played out, <laughs> but the notion that it could actually happen where a teacher takes kids out of the school like that is a long way from reality. And I'm being careful to say that it doesn't ha- it, to make the claim it doesn't happen because I'm sure there are situations where things happen. I know there was a setting a um, place that I was teaching. We regularly took the kids in our car because we couldn't get a bus every time we wanted to do something, but we had to go out and do lots of activities. But I had signed notes from parents. There were permission slips. There were all these things that happened. And um, there are times where we had kids who went on excursions who hadn't returned a permission slip. And these things happen in schools. But the idea that this covert exercise of getting all of the kids to band together and run off to the car, I could barely walk past someone else's classroom without all the kids noticing, let alone smuggle a group of students out to my van and drive off in the middle of the day without someone looking through a window to see that something was afoot. Uh, you, you brought back a, a bad memory for me. I um, oh, once took Apologies. A, no, I know. I took a, a, a senior debate group, so four kids in the car, off we went to another school and had a car accident on the way and I was actually stationary and there was a truck in front of me who decided to reverse and I reversed until I hit the car behind me and then the truck just backed over the front of my car. Ah. Four screaming teenagers, one maybe screaming teacher. Mildly upset. (laughs) Mildly upset. the amount of forms that had to be filled. Yeah. No one was harmed, thankfully. Um, yeah. Once the truck felt some resistance after he had scraped my engine right back to the windscreen and realised there was something behind him. <laughs> um, yeah, but the forms. Yeah. That, and yeah. there was nothing, like he went on this excursion, things went wrong. There was no sense that he had to fill out a single form I return, and I'm outraged. <laughs> Ah, uh, yay, the bureaucracy. <laughs> um, the, the other big thing that the, the film does depict is the parental pressure on yeah. staff, on the principal. Yeah. And I thought that was actually pretty spot on. Yeah, it's unlikely a principal would ever have a meeting with parents where every parent was in the office at once berating it. That would not happen, no. But... The the pressure from parents is certainly something that most teachers would understand. Yeah, the, the tone that the parents used with school staff, uh, not respectful. Particularly in what was portrayed as an elite school mm-hmm. with high fees, which came up from one of the parents at some point that I'm paying this much for the kid to come here. What's actually going on? You and, know, I think one of the kids says that as well, which... Mm. Um, I've, I've taught at a, um, a high-fee school, and they do say that to you as a teacher. My <laughs> parents aren't paying for this. It's a very interesting moment in a class when that happens. Um, 
but yeah, the parental pressure, the student pressure, we are putting a lot of money in here. We want salient outcomes and we want uh, – here's, here's the thing that I always – start that sentence again. Here's the thing that always interests me is that parents are obviously sometimes can be the most conservative people in the school. Mm. So the school might want to progress – so the teaching or the, the teaching style, they might want to change it up to become a more progressive teaching style and the students might want to come, but the parents are still stuck in what they think is the best style of teaching, yeah. which is the school they hated when they were at school. Yeah, but there's also, I agree with this theory, but with my kid, yeah, this has to happen because my kid has to have the best. Don't try new things on my kid. That's right. I want my kid to achieve the best, but I agree that... Everyone else can move through this other idea, yeah. but, but not my kid. My kid has to do it like this. So, yeah, yeah it, it's hard being a parent and it's hard dealing with those pressures. But, you know, it's that thing of the teachers are qualified, mm -hmm. registered, mm -hmm. and except for Dewey, <laughs> have some pretty good background checks to make sure <laughs> that they're good at what they do. Um, so being able to, to let go and say, I'll trust the professionals is a difficult thing for some parents. So, yeah, I think that was, I agree, it was really well portrayed in, in those couple of moments. Yeah, the moments, it is interesting. It's not something other professions come across as regularly as teaching. I think yeah. it's not like we go into a hospital and tell a doctor, no, you will do it this way instead yep. of that way. Um, we don't do it to accountants or engineers or anything yeah. like that. I reckon um, there's a few nurses that might be nodding their head in agreement, oh, though. Oh, yeah, I think nurses get it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, again, another woman-dominated industry profession yep. uh, where everybody thinks they can tell that profession how to do their job. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, don't know what the answer is there, but I think it's a... Trust the professionals. That's what the answer is. There. All right. Now, there's a few things that we need to talk about at the end of um, our exploration of this film. So there was an education montage in this film, and you know that education montages are my most favourite thing in the whole world. So I'm going to ask you three questions about the education montage, yes. Daniel, and see what you think. So in terms of this education montage, what did you think about the variety of teaching techniques shown? Better than average. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah. It's not bad. Yeah, there's was... visual aids, he's got music, yeah. he's got, yeah. Bodily kinesthetic, yeah. we've got mathematical spatial. Yeah, we've, we've, there's a few good things there. Yeah, not bad, not bad at all. Uh, so in in terms of the other, the montage, learning thresholds capitalise upon. So were the kids reaching some sort of threshold and was he make, taking advantage of that? What do you think? You're staring blankly at me. Let's just forget that one. No. <laughs> No. He wasn't. <laughs> there were no thresholds. They were just – I did find it interesting that uh, I, I mentioned earlier there's no sense of a timeline, but they went for, – for what was meant to be a two-week substituting replacement, they went from no band to fully rehearsed excellent competition-winning band in a very short space of time. So – you could say they achieved a certain threshold of, of achievement, but, it, 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 yeah, no, it, it wasn't it, – no, no, no good. <laughs> I'd agree no. with them, no. All right, the third question of that montage, were the students uh, depicting uh, 
were the students depicted having agency in their own learning? Mm, that's, oh, I was going to go with a no, but then I thought maybe they did get to – no, he chose the kids like you choose uh, – like kids choose a sports team at playtime. I choose you, I choose you, the rest of you can go over there and do this thing. So they they had agency in the thing that they were doing. Zach certainly did because he got to write a song and everyone got to perform his song, but no one else got any chance to do anything. So, yeah, I'll go with a no. <laughs> I would agree with you. I think that these students were very much locked into a single path and um, although some of them – Except got, Tamika. Tamika got to switch paths. Yes. But – that took a lot of courage for her to go up there and change her path. Yes. Um, oh, the other girl who decides she's going to be the band manager, um, she switched her path as well. But there were some pretty dubious roles in there, the kids who got the um, the role of naming the band. Roadie. Or Roadie. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah, security. Security, yeah. yeah. And and what's the deal with leaving kids back in the classroom while the rest go on an excursion? Like, they're not going to go home feeling completely left out and deflated. Ridiculous. <laughs> oh, that was the other thing. He gave some of the um, girls the, the job of being groupies. Yep. Oh. oh. Rage. <laughs> is, is, is that... Well, I got my feminist radar going and, and I'm kind of sitting back from the table here because I can see the steam coming out your ears. How very dare you, sir. <laughs> I, not you, Daniel, but I mean, Mr. Jew, how dare you put women in that box anyway? All right. So that brings us to the uh, final questions uh, for today's episode. First question, is this movie accurate in its portrayal of teachers? Um, so it's accurate in its portrayal of somebody who doesn't know what they're doing <laughs> in front of a group of kids. Could I say that? <laughs> You're allowed to say that. <laughs> I don't think it was a flattering depiction of the registered teachers. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that was accurate at all. And it's certainly not an accurate portrayal of any principal, particularly of a high fee school. Yep. I'm, I'm sitting on a 50-50. Uh, I say no. But then there are those moments that we've discussed which are completely accurate, like the moments of building rapport with the students and the moments of celebration of student success and the idea that students can be successful in things that they're interested in. Those bits are completely accurate. You then get the bits where uh, it's really just not. So it's polar opposites. There's no grey area. It's There are moments that are and then a lot of it that's not. So I think overall I'll, I'll go with a no. Yeah, it's a no. He had a personality suited to teaching. He had no natural aptitude for it. <laughs> uh, glowing praise indeed. Uh, the next question, is what this movie portrayed relevant to teaching today? Yes. Yeah, I'm, yes. I'm with you. Definitely yes. Yeah, it... it it's dealing with things that we're still struggling with in education today. What's yeah. the best approach to teaching? Music to support learning, students' vo student voice, students' um, ability to choose, uh, dealing with parents, parent-teacher interviews. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a lot of things that are still discussions teachers are having today. I wonder if it's even, in terms of music, 
more pertinent than it was at the time because in a time it, currently music and arts are being actually slashed in American yeah, schools. absolutely. So, yeah. Not only that, the other relevant thing, it actually portrayed substitute teachers as legitimate teachers. Yes, And that is that. still an argument that is had between substitute teachers and everyone else. Yes, no, no. I, I do like that they harped on about that strongly. So next question, is it a good show? Oh, it's a good show. It's yeah. Sister Act 3, but it's a good show. <laughs> it's it's silly, but, you know, you can sit back and enjoy it. So I'll say yes. And finally, would this inspire someone to go into teaching? Oh, would it do that? If I like the term you used before, which is, I think, a quintessentially Australian term of muck around with students. Yeah. Um, I think that sense of being able to play to learn, uh, that education doesn't have to be serious pens and paper all the time. Yeah. I, I think that would encourage someone to go into teaching. I don't think this showed any of the drudgery of the job of teaching. Oh, no. Every job has drudgery, but the preparation for um, parent-teacher interviews, clearly it didn't work for him because he ended up being arrested at the end of his. Um, <laughs> that's that's a level I haven't managed to sink to. So, There's a lot of the day-to-day -day grind of teaching that happens outside of what you do with the students that wasn't shown in any way in this film. Um, so it's not a realistic portrayal of what the job of teaching is, but the idea that you can change a kid's life by giving them something to be interested in, that's kind of what inspires everyone to go into teaching. It's I'm going to make a difference and help kids and change the world and, and they'll grow up to be wonderful people. And, yeah, I think this in, would inspire them to go into teaching uh, up until they find out what teaching is actually about, and then maybe they won't stick around. But yeah, the, they, they'd certainly have a look at it. Yeah, that first um, year of teaching is a real test of your commitment yeah. to the aspiration of making a difference. That's assuming you make it through all your student teaching rounds. That's true. <laughs> um, that brings us to the end of the podcast. So uh, I need to thank our... <laughs> Thanks, someone. Yeah. George Clooney. George Clooney. I'd like to thank George Clooney for marrying an inspiring woman, Amal, who should be a household name throughout the world. He is. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember what her maiden name was. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that brings us to the end of the podcast I'd like to thank Erin Ma our film historian who was able to gather a lot of the information that we were able to use in today's session and of course my co-host Amy Cotton thank you very much my pleasure we look forward to having you back for our next episode see you at the movies uh, this episode of Rated E for Educationals brought to you by the Teacher Learning Network. The TLN's core business is providing professional development to teachers to help them do what they do best. Have a look at the uh, range of PD that the TLN has on offer at tln.org.au. TLN is co-sponsored by the Australian Education Union, Victorian Branch, and the Independent Education Union, Victoria, Tasmanian Branch.
Follow us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram as Teacher Learning Network and on Twitter as at TLN Update.